Hello everyone and welcome to Field Tripping. Today we have a special episode to share with you and we're calling it Field Trip Live. The conversation you're about to hear took place at one of our recent events in our Los Angeles clinic located in Santa Monica. The evening was centered around how to elevate wellness through the pillars of intention, insight, and integration. Our panelists, who fuel innovation in the wellness space, shared their best tips and interventions to enhance the functional development of mind, body, and spirit. Involved in the discussion is Ali Schaefer of Supermush, our very own Dr. Mike Dow, Dr. Brian Abasolo from Bachelor Nation, and myself as the moderator. We open the night with an incredible sound bath and breathwork exercise, which you'll hear in the next episode as a bonus. Both the conversation and the community were super inspired that night, and we hope you feel the same way while listening. Please enjoy, and we hope to see you at our very next Field Trip Live. Thank you again, everybody, for attending. I hope the 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 initial part was wonderful. You know, we, we got to feel something, and now hopefully we can all learn something from the conversation that's about to happen. So... Joining me up here today, we have Ali Shaper, Dr. Mike Dow, and Dr. Brian Abasolo. And I'll ask everyone to introduce themselves briefly because I have no brief bios on each of you, even though I know all of you. So go ahead, Ali. Hello, everyone. <laughs> My name is Ali, and I'm trying to think of the easiest way to describe it. I talk about mushrooms all day. That's basically what I do. And... Um, I have a company that I co-founded called Into the Multiverse, and there's a few different kind of parts of what we're doing, but it's an ecosystem around mushrooms. We have a marketplace called The Multiverse that is purely legal, functional mushrooms, and we also have a consumer lifestyle brand called Supermush. We make supplements, we make streetwear, and then we also have this like kind of media arm of the brand that we have a podcast, which Ronan has been on, that's where we met. Um, and we also do a dinner series around psychedelics, very passionate about the future of psilocybin consumer products. So like I've been thinking a lot about that and I'm doing some stuff in kind of like the public policy space, which we can talk more about later, but um, yeah, that's what we're up to. Uh, so I'm a writer. I'm a psychedelic-assisted psychotherapist. I've studied every form of psychotherapy, and every time I'm like, oh, this is the one. Oh, this is the one. Oh, this one's really good. And then I went to my ketamine-assisted psychotherapy training. I'm like, oh, no, this is the one. This is the one. This is the one that really helps to heal the brain at the root cause. So, you know, I, I know Brian from po his podcast, and uh, after I got trained, I... I knew I wanted to sort of be at the biggest and the best, so I had an introduction to, to Ronan. I'm like, I want to do something with you guys. And now I, I have the pleasure of being here, really helping people to transform their lives uh, here at Field Trip, doing this work. It is the most rewarding thing when you've seen tens of thousands of patients over the years and you see how other forms of treatment, you know, some very effective forms of treatment, um, how they work and how they sometimes don't work that well. And then you get to do something where every single day people are finding relief after years and years of suffering. Um, I will just say I'm very happy to be here. So thanks. My goal for Mike is to turn him into the Dr. Sanjay Gupta for psychedelics. Whether yes. he likes it or not, that's my goal for him. He's going to get there. Um, hello, everyone. My name is Brian Abasolo. I'm a doctor of chiropractic. Uh, I'm a certified nutritionist and personal trainer. And uh, my goal in life is 
basically to help heal people uh, from their chronic pain, which is a majority of the people that come to my practice, from that chronic pain with natural and high-tech methods, uh, have various gadgets in my um, practice that's located in Beverly Hills area that basically get down to the root cause of the problem and heal that condition. And then I transfer them to be better functioning outside of my clinic. Um, I've treated thousands of patients uh, that have been involved in car accidents, from car accidents to basically just people with biomechanical issues. I know a lot of people here, we're obviously all sitting. Um, you know, that's an epidemic in and of itself. But, you know, I really uh, help people get away from the dangerous uh, opioids and the injections and the surgeries and really give them a natural solution uh, for their pain. And I also do some weight loss uh, in my practice as well. Also non-invasive, also uh, very, very, very highly studied. A lot of things that I do um, are highly researched, tons of studies in PubMed. You know, I, I love what I do and it's very effective in, in healing people in a natural way. So it's a little bit about me. All right. Just uh, as we get started, I want to make it clear that like, this can be very much a conversation and not a panel kind of talk. So if you guys have questions, put your hands up, interject. And the same goes here, which is like I have questions specific for each of you, but please make it a conversation and, and not specific to the question. But to kick things off, uh, we've broken it down into intention, insights and integration. So let's start with intention and I'll go to you, Mike. Um what is the value of setting an intention and how do you help people set an intention, particularly as they come into you know, a field trip health center for ketamine-assisted therapy or otherwise? It seems like such an essential part of it. In my experience, the intention that I set and the experience I get are usually completely unrelated, but you know, it, it is an important part of it because it grounds it. So talk about how you work with, with your clients uh, as they come in and everyone else weigh into. I think intention is everything and, it, and what we do here in doing a psychotherapy um, preparation session before the work, it's, it really allows us to be hyper-specific instead of just, okay, we're just going to come in and blast you with a bunch of ketamine based on your weight and let's see how that goes. And sometimes that goes great and sometimes it goes really, really poorly. Um, anecdotally from some of the patients that come here and tell me what a horrific experience that was. And then with the work that we do, it's like, that feels like a different medicine. And our, you know, our delivery method is, is different. And, uh, but it's not just about you know, intramuscular inter, uh, injection versus IV. I think what we do here, it's, it's really about that intention. So it's really allowing the medicine in your own inner healing in intelligence or your inner therapist to, to come forth. Um, and as you said, sometimes if you set a BS intention, <laughs> the medicine will just say, nope, we know what you really need to work on. But it is, it is really calling that intention forth that I think allows the work to be highly effective. And, and Brian, while I know that psychedelics aren't necessarily part of your practice, pain and, and you know, mental outlook and emotional outlook are deeply related. So how do, you, how do you navigate that with your patients about putting them in the right mindset to support you know, dealing with their chronic pain and, and moving onward? Because again, it's like intention is not specific to psychedelics. It's important in psychedelics, but you know, when it comes to what we're talking about here, it's not about psychedelic experiences. It's what psychedelic experiences enable, which is where the work really happens. And, and so that's a key part of your practice, I imagine, too. Yeah, I mean, as far as emotion, I think that 
I deal with patients that obviously are coming in with a high level of pain. And I deal with people that are depressed, they're anxious, um, they're moody. And the work that I do, basically removing the interference that's involved in the nervous system is something that can alleviate those types of emotional and mental blocks. Um, you know, when it comes to not only the pain relief, but regulating blood pressure, um, uh, helping out with hormone levels, um, also better sleep, all those things in and of itself are going to in turn help with emotional and mental blocks. Absolutely. And Ali, I mean, I'm sure you have lots to talk about when it comes to intentions, but one of the specific questions I had was around how do we use supplementation and, and mushrooms and natural products from your perspective to support the intention, you know, before, during, after as well? Yeah, and are you asking, you know, specifically with, with psychedelic trips or just more, you know, supplemental use in your life? Can I answer it? Both. Either Go one? for it. I mean, again, um, it's like psychedelics are just like, they're, they're like a, a catalyst, but they're just a catalyst, right? So life is much bigger. Um, so talk about it all. Yeah, I mean, so I'll, I'll start kind of in the in the functional mushroom lens. And my, my personal story with functional mushrooms, um, which are the non-psychedelic kind, if you're in this room, you probably know that. But, um, you know, they, they totally changed my health. And when I started to incorporate them, into my life. I saw my energy levels change. I saw this like state of flow that I feel like a lot of people are, are kind of looking for and it replaced my caffeine use. It, it, it totally made me feel like a different person. Like, you know, most of the world is actually on drugs via caffeine. If you've read Michael Pollan's book, Your Mind on Plants, fascinating chapter on caffeine. Definitely work, worth checking out if you're a caffeine user. Um, and, you know, I think this is kind of a roundabout answer to your question, but like once I started to discover the power of functional mushrooms, I was also studying the psychedelic space and I was really just a student of it at the time. And I started to learn about psilocybin and its effect on the brain and um, connecting the dots between those two, between, you know, these functional mushrooms that had totally changed my health and then psilocybin, um, you know, the psychoactive part of magic mushrooms that are, are from the same kingdom. I was like, wow, these are, these are from this same organism and there's so much to learn with them. So, you know, my, my answer to intention is like, how do I intentionally use functional mushrooms and, and mushrooms in my life is I just really like, they're my, they've been my greatest teachers in my life, both functional and, and psychedelic. And I think there's like just so much wisdom, which I can, I can go into further. But, um, I, and I think, you know, if you're, if you're looking at psilocybin trips as well, the intention you said is everything, you know, mushrooms kind of take you on their journey. So like you said, you know, the intention can um, go completely out the window once you set it. But actually my friend Shelby here has told me this on our podcast. So I'm going to give her a shout out. She said, you know, like the way you do anything is the way you do everything. And that was kind of one of her takeaways when she was sharing about her, her psychedelic experience. And I think the intention you bring to psychedelics is actually just the intention you bring to your life as well. Yeah, I do. It is very, very much so. Um, yeah, maybe that's why my intentions and my actual trips never seem to correlate. <laughs> uh, just speaking about like functional supplements, because it's something I'm super interested in and both of you weigh in. It's like, I know, Mike, you talk about the stack that you take and all that kind of stuff. And I'm interested in hearing it again. And I have a feeling a lot of people here would be interested in what supplements you guys recommend to support your lives. Uh, and that's open to everybody as well. 
I just love the way ketamine makes your brain bigger and better, you know? So, so for me, it's, it's really looking at uh, what are some of the things like whole coffee fruit extract um, and functional mushrooms and what are the things that I can add to my, my stack to keep the work. And I, after I got trained, I'm like, oh, this, this is something that everybody should experience. You know, I can actually feel after a ketamine session of my own how it brightens the brain. Uh, but adding that little stack and adding these these supplements really helps the effects to, to last longer, uh, which is very, you know, I think functional nutrition, you know, I'm trained in epigenetic counseling, so I can sort of see uh, in my patients, like, you know, why is that person depressed, which I think is a really interesting question, right? So if it's coming from the BDNF gene, like if that, if that brain is shrinking, if there's more atrophy, or is it MTHFR, and is there, does that person need some B vitamin? Uh, oh yeah, you, everyone's like, yeah, I have that, you know? And, and a lot of people do, and it's, and it's, you know, how do you change your diet, and how can ketamine-assisted psychotherapy help you to set an intention to then clean your diet and incorporate more leafy greens with B vitamins or methylated folate or whatever you need? So it's, it's really going down to this route. Um, going off on a tangent here, but I think in mental health, nobody asks the question, why? We tell you what, but no, why? No, really, why am I depressed? Why am I anxious, right? It's like, oh, well, it's just the dopamine. Well, but why? Why aren't I making enough dopamine, right? So to actually take it down to the level, is it inflammation? Is it methylation? Is it your brain's not making enough BDNF so that you can make new brain cells? I think it's just really exciting that we have all of these, um, these tools to, to really go to the root cause. And, and my supplements have really changed my life so that I can do all sorts of things and be here and wake up and then spend quality time with, with my family too. So, Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I want to know what what I'm deficient in and what in your ketamine session. But um, for me, I suffer from a little bit of anxiety. I'm, you know, tired often time to time and at work. But for me, my stack in particular, uh, ashwagandha um, just helps a lot with mood support and uh, GABA, L-theanine, a lot of uh, relaxation supplements, uh, magnesium for sleep. But I mean, my best advice is definitely get checked and see what, the nutritional gaps that you have in your in your body as far as you know what you're not getting from your diet the way you could supplement with those and just fill in those gaps that you're feeling and functioning at your best but i would say gaba l-theanine magnesium um and ashwagandha was a big one for me yeah what do you take mike you didn't actually give us the list oh, i like gosh. having the list <laughs> Everything. <laughs> Vitamin D, methylated B vitamins, uh, Sammy whole coffee fruit extract, ashwagandha, lion's mane, shiitake mushrooms, five other mushrooms. So there's, there's a lot. I could go on. <laughs> Is there anything you want to add? Melatonin. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I mean, mushrooms, naturally. Um, very on brand. I mean, cordyceps, lion's mane chaga, turkey tail, reishi, like all of the mushrooms. I think there's, you know, what we'd like to talk about is whatever you need, there is a mushroom for that. So functional mushrooms have replaced a lot of my medicine cabinet in a lot of ways. And also, you know, to, to bring psychedelics into the equation of like, how do those make um, their way? I, I really believe that psilocybin is like one of the most effective wellness supp supplements out there. And subperceptual amounts of psilocybin, like AKA microdosing is so powerful. And often if you see, you know, these, these black market brands, they're stacked with cordyceps, lion's mane, bacopa, vitamin D3, like this, you know, and a lot of times, honestly, when people are taking microdosing psilocybin, they're actually feeling the lion's mane. So that's something interesting to note. Um, they work really nicely together and 
Yeah, I think I think also, you know, microdosing psychedelics are a huge part of the kind of supplemental stack. And we'll see that, you know, obviously continue to explode as legalization happens and things like that. Just so you don't think that like this is just a blanket endorsement of all things psychedelics. I actually really don't like microdosing psilocybin. It makes me super anxious. That's just me, not everybody, but you know, it, it doesn't work for me, uh, to be quite honest. Can I comment on that? Yeah. Okay, so we've had this conversation because we, we have a, a group that is formed specifically around microdosing. It's called the Microdosing Collective. It's a nonprofit, and the idea with it is to collect research, the best people in the space specifically to focus on microdosing subperceptual amounts of psilocybin um, as a wellness supplement. And we've had this conversation around anxiety because a few people um, have commented like, hey, you know, sometimes people will report the first or second time that you take microdosing or maybe just on a continued basis that it brings up anxiety. So like there's actually a group of people that are looking into the research of like why, why that is. And I've experienced it a few times. The kind of like roundabout answer to it is like emotions are in your body. Um, microdosing other psychedelics. We all know this. If you've taken psychedelics, they bring them to the surface. There's often nothing that you can do. Um, and so if you, some people, you know, that, that causes anxiety, you don't maybe want to take microdosing while you're working if you don't want that feeling to come up. But you know, the argument is if the motion's coming out, it's a good thing. And sometimes you just need to move through it. And a lot of people that have had that have continued um, their use, reduced their dosage, stopped using it with caffeine, eaten it after food. Um, there's all these kind of different things you can do to tweak if you do have that experience and you still want to explore it. So shoving it back down like I usually do is not a good idea. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, so before the next section, we can talk about uh, insight. But before we do that, I want to invite any questions. If anyone has any questions about intentions, how to set intentions, what to think about you know, prior to coming into ketamine-assisted therapy or any other practices that you may have, be a great time to do so. If not, then you know we can kind of continue on. All right, we will continue on with the conversation. Um, so, Mike, how do psychedelics work on the brain? And like, what do you see coming up? Are the common themes that come up during the ketamine sessions that you you sit with people for and, and, and do the integration work for? Ketamine is the most interesting medicine because no two journeys are the same. And it, it, it looks so, there, there's really little predictability. There's, there's a little, right? Like neuroticism, neurotic people really don't have easy journeys. Uh, people who are very open, like everybody in this room, tend to have really wonderful journeys and it's easy for them. But then even for people who have great journeys, I feel like they are so different from one person to the next. Uh, I would say that the, the, the most consistent theme is getting in touch with that thing. And I feel like we all have that thing, that thing that you know you need to process, right? Like what is that, what is that one antidote that you need? I feel like over the course of six sessions, um, some, and six is not the, the magic number for everybody, right? It could be five, it could be eight. But um, I was, a little example of this, you know, I was working with somebody and she got to her last sort of uh, graduation session, she called it, you know, and, and it was like, there was this woman who kept showing up in all the journeys. And it's like, oh my God, and I kept seeing this woman. And we're trying to process it. And I was trying to interpret it, right? Because I do some Jungian interpretation sometimes. And, and then in her last session, in the last 10 minutes, it was like, oh, oh, this whole time, 
that was the wisest part of me that was taking care of me through my entire childhood. And that's what she needed, right? So I, I feel like the one theme is that if you really do this work and you do it in a really deep way with a lot of intention, it tends to deliver that, that thing that each person needs. That is five levels below the surface of the presenting problem, right? It's not like, oh, here's my diagnosis. It's, it's, it's fine. But like, what is five layers underneath that? Yeah, when I, so we're shooting a documentary called Ordinary Trip. Davino was there with me um, in Costa Rica, and you know, as I was going through the San Pedro experience, like shit came up. <laughs> like to be quite honest, uh, and and sometimes you feel like you you turn a page and like you end a chapter or you end a book, and sometimes you feel like you turn a page and you just started a brand new book. And it was one of those situations where it's like, oh man, I've been I've been doing a lot of work. I don't have extensive extensive experience with psychedelics, but I've been doing a lot of coaching and therapy for the last God. And I want to age myself like fifteen or twenty years. Uh, and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm making progress. I'm making progress. And then, bam. Like it, just a whole new thing that I totally missed showed up in my life. So it it can be very, very deep like that. Do you see how much how much of your practice is like mental and emotional in terms of dealing with people? Obviously, there's a lot of physical uh, that goes into it, but like, do you see that come out sometimes with your clients that like their physical pain shifts and it opens them up to to new things as well? Yeah, I mean. Honestly, I spend a lot of time with my patients. Uh, on average, an average session is about 45 minutes to an hour. You know, we, we get to talking about a lot of stuff in, in those sessions. Um, it's not only the physical work, but, you know, I've, I, I sometimes feel like I'm their therapist um, in a sense. But yeah, the, uh, the adjustments that, that occur in my office are very powerful. And sometimes, you know, basically uh, removing those interferences and those blockages so to allow the the blood flow and the oxygen and the nutrients to get to those areas that are, are necessary to, to receive that. Um, you know, I've had patients break down and cry, um, in my office before and it's just powerful. It just makes me love what I do even more. Yeah. I'm, I'm personally a big believer. I'm sure this is going to come as no surprise, but like mind, body and spirit and like the integrative medicine approach is, is so fundamental to it. Do you incorporate that into your practice? I mean, it sounds like you do if you end up being a person's therapist, which you yeah, sounds yeah, like you I effectively mean, I, do. But. I think obviously you want to treat the body as a whole, um, you know, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically. So yeah, you want to tackle each of those things. I mean, my initial intent is to get them better physically just because that's what they mainly come in for is they just need relief. But once they get that relief, now it's, you know, functioning better, great posture, stability, balance, you know, when it comes to that uh, emotional and, and uh, mental aspect. Now I have to sit up properly because yeah. you messed not posture. sitting up properly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Ali, uh, the question I have here is, tell me about your insight that mushrooms can change the world um, where did that come from? Why do you believe uh, mushrooms are in need of a serious rebrand? And why do psychedelics and functional mushrooms deserve a seat in conversations around wellness? We kind of touched on that last piece previously. But you can go totally rogue on that question and share any kind of insights that have come up with you in, in your journey along the way too. It's my favorite question. And many of the people I've invited into this room have heard me say this before, so apologies for the repetition. But a lot of what we talk about within our team and, you know, kind of at large when we have conversations around mushrooms is like, if you look at the largest problems that the world is facing right now across 
all different industries from sustainability to mental health, which is arguably the largest problem that the world is facing. Mushrooms touch all of those problems and have the ability to help, you know, aid solve a lot of these, you know, massive issues. And if you, so just to kind of break that down, you know, mushrooms, fungi are their kingdom, are their kingdom of their own. And there's a few different parts of them. Like, you know, what you hear, what we're talking about earlier, functional mushrooms, chaga, cordyceps, reishi, turkey tail are changing people's health and they're changing their physical body and healing all of these ailments. And then mycelium, which if you're in this room, you probably know what mycelium is, but for people that don't, it's the underground root structure of mushrooms. And it is under every step of, of earth that you take, every step that you take across the entire, you know, parameter of the earth, there's 300 mi miles of mycelial biomass. So you're stepping on this massive root structure and connects all living things. People and companies are using the mycelium to create packaging alternatives. And these are like big players in the world. Stella McCartney, NASA, Adidas are using mycelium for sustainable packaging alternatives. Um, there's even a company I talked to that's building like printing building blocks out of mycelium biomass essentially. It's really cool. So like the future of that is as a whole other animal. There's mushrooms that can reverse environmental toxins, eat um, waste off of plastic, return them to the earth um, through the enzymes they produce. It's, it's, it's really crazy. And then obviously like this whole other bucket, which we're all talking about is psilocybin. And it is the, you know, most along with other psychedelics, the most innovative thing that has happened in mental health since SSRIs were invented. And like innovative is kind of a poor word choice because they've been used for thousands of years, but um, the way that we're using them in, in psychedelic assisted therapy, super innovative. So um, I'm really excited about mushrooms, obviously. And I think that uh, it's just the beginning. I think it's going to be much larger than the cannabis industry ever was. And that's both functional and psilocybin. I know you used to, you used to work in that space. So I'm sure you have comments on that as well, but that's why we think they can, you know, save and change the world. That, that's fair. And and this is a question actually uh, for everybody, but like I was in the cannabis industry before getting involved in the psychedelics industry and hemp was going to basically do everything that you just said mushrooms, you know, are going to do that. That was the story for so long. And and maybe there's some truth to it, but certainly the expectations and the reality are, are very far disconnected. Um, and I think there's a lot of expectation and certainly hope that psychedelics, the promise of psychedelics is going to be significant. And, you know, a lot of people are trying to always say like, oh, psychedelics are not a panacea. They're not going to solve the problems of everything. Um, curious to know both of your thoughts, all of your thoughts on, on how we kind of manage expectations around ketamine assisted therapy, MDMA assisted therapy, which should become legal FDA approved next year uh, and, and beyond. One common problem I see is that in the beginning, people start to feel so much better with ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, and there's this unspoken um, sort of feeling that if ketamine can take me from a one to a three, and then a three to a six, and then a six to an eight, well, then I'm just going to keep doing, you know, like, well, I'm just going to wait till I get to a 10, and, because it does really rapidly improve your mood, but that's where integration comes in. So I think in terms of managing expectations half of it is up to you, right? And then it's the work. And then all of the old, you know, cognitive behavioral lifestyle changes, exercise, functional nutrition, medicine, you know, it, it's, it's then up to you. So I think in managing expectations, just don't expect it to do everything for you, just be a partner with it. And I think that's when you get the best results. Do you have any thoughts, Allie? 
on our on our podcast, we've had so many people talk about this idea that psychedelics are not a silver bullet. And it's, you know, it's it's almost like over said now at this point, because I feel like it's people are really trying to harp on the point by saying that, that if you go and you sit with, whether it's ayahuasca or you do ketamine therapy, um, or you, you have a psilocybin journey, it's not going to fix all of your problems. And like my personal kind of anecdote to that is anything that ever has actually healed me in my life, anything has been such hard work. And I've, you know, the, some of the most healing things I've done have been like combo ayahuasca, like not pleasant. If anyone's done combo, like respect, it's, it's a challenging experience, you know, and it's, you have to work with it. And it's the total opposite from like Western, you know, medication where you take it, it fixes often the symptom, not the root cause. Like it's all these things that we all know, but, um, so I think that how you can manage expectations around it is like really explain to people that it's, it's going to be challenging often. Sometimes it's not. And, um, that the whole, you know, these steps that you're, that you're so, you know, that you place so much importance on a field trip with the, you know, the integration, that's why everyone talks about integration. It's like this buzzword now, but it's like so important to have all of these elements so that you don't go to an experience and it can, you know, fuck you up more for lack of a better word, if it's not done with all the correct steps. And I'm also, last thing I'll say on this, I'm reading, I'm reading this book right now. I'm only a hundred pages in, so I shouldn't speak to it before I finish it, but drug use for grownups. And it's really really good by Carl Hart. Incredible. And, um, it's about how to integrate psychedelics into like your grown up life. Essentially it's, you know, read the book. Um, but it's, I think it also paints a really accurate picture. Um, all right, let's, let's switch topics for a second into integration. And Brian, so here's a question for you, which is, um, not being directly involved in the emerging psychedelic medicine field. Uh, and, and being a little bit of the outsider looking in, how do, how would you advise, um, both us as field trip, as, as clinicians, as doctors, uh, to engage the broader medical community in this conversation? Um, and, and how do we, uh, integrate it into a broader medical consideration such that it fits nicely with, you know, practices like yours and, and integrates. That's not how we typically talk about integration in this context, but I think it's an important part of it, which is like integration is taking the insight. When we talk about integration in the context of psychedelics, it means taking the insights that come up and actually manifesting them into your life, whether it means going to the gym more, sitting up straight, which I'm going to hold on to for the rest of the night, uh, you know, uh, doing the work, expressing your anger, my problem, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's what we talk about with integration. But the conversation around psychedelic medicine, ketamine-assisted therapy, it needs to be bigger. It needs to become part of medicine and not just like this kind of fringe subset of medicine, which it still is by and large. So just curious to know your thoughts. I know it's like off the cuff. I, mean, I guess but- I have a question on that. Like what what is the, the research show? I mean, Mike, you know anything about the research or what's come out because I mean, I feel like education is always the key where, you know, people need to know that it's safe and, you know, it could become mainstream. Is there, you know, is there research out there that that's moving forward? 
Yeah, and I think some of the best research is ours. <laughs> you know, it's it, it's remarkable that you know uh, that our data show that people come to us with severe depression and or severe anxiety, and you know, using these standardized assessments that all doctors use, it's the wow, we're we're taking people in a couple of weeks from severe to to mild. I mean, that's unheard of in in mental health, and and so I think if we can do more of that, and you know, by the way, in terms of pain, uh, I think it makes a lot of sense that we are not blasting, there is a pain ketamine protocol that we don't really use here, but the IV clinics just use more ketamine in an IV and just sort of blast the pain away. What we would do is refer to somebody like you and work with them in, an, in a very functional and integrative way to say, well, we're not going to blast the pain away with the ketamine because you can do that. But we don't think that that is really what we're doing in ketamine-assisted therapy. We would really want to sort of integrate with other providers, as we often do, like you or functional medicine doctors or autoimmune specialists, to really say, like, how does that person change their life? And how do we change the mindset uh, in the same way that a lot of mindfulness-based cognitive therapies change the mindset and can change the way you process pain without blasting the pain away and then leave it to people like you to actually functionally change the body or change the posture or change you know, the, the muscles and the tissue, right? Yeah, um, I feel like that sounds like what I would want to incorporate. It's more responsible pain management yeah. in the sense that you know, you're not drugging these people up with opioids and, and the injections of corticosteroids and whatnot but you're using something that has uh, a track record of, of positive effects without, with little side effects, um, you know, and then you integrate that with lifestyle changes and habits like you were talking about earlier, you know, integrate the six natural doctors as I always like to tell my patients, you know, get sunshine, drink water, you know, eat a healthy diet, get exercise, um, you know, and just do things that, that come, that essentially are free. Right. And, you know, incorporating something like that, you know, I think would I, I would want to do it in my practice, honestly. Mm. I mean, if I could bring you in and <laughs> for you to prescribe that. But, yeah, I, I think it's uh, definitely a, a great way to integrate, you know, natural, natural yeah. things into the practice. And Mike, I mean, we talk about a lot of people talk about integration therapy, which I think is actually a misnomer. Like integration, like as touched on at the beginning, is a lifelong practice, right? It's taking these insights and actually changing your life. It's not just about there's the 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 neuroplasticity, and please touch on that as well. That happens, so people are able to do a lot more, and your brain starts to heal, and 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 there's the new neural connections and all that kind of stuff. But integration goes a lot beyond that. How do you support people with integration? What does that look like when people come out of a ketamine experience, both immediately after and and then beyond? I think it's the realization that life is the integration therapy. You know, so it, it's really realizing that this old model of like, okay, we're going to go to these sessions, and that's going to fix everything. It's like. No, we're just lighting the fire. It's up to you to keep it burning, you know? And if we can actually change the mindset around that, um, I think we can really change people's lives for the better, and that's what we're doing. And is there any specific practices like you recommend for people to sort of like keep up, like meditate, like, you know, the, I think you said the six natural doctors of like sunshine exercise, eating well, all that kind of stuff. But like, is there anything else you recommend? Yeah, I like ACEs, so... Um, 
doing one thing every day that gives you a sense of achievement, connection, enjoyment, and then adding the S, which is the self with a capital S. So this is sort of a tweaked, my own tweaked version of cognitive behavioral therapy that will sometimes use ACE, but then incorporating that fourth uh, quadrant, which is the self, right? So if you can do something every day that gives you achievement, you're getting a little boost of dopamine. Connection, a little oxytocin. Enjoyment, a little bit more dopamine or serotonin. And then if you connect with the self, then you're connecting to that access point of the ketamine journey every single day so that it is a practice. You know, my transcendental meditation practice has gotten so much stronger because of ketamine and vice versa, right? It's like the TM supports the the ketamine, the ketamine supports the TM. So it's not like, well, now that I do ketamine, I can stop meditating, right? It's like, no, no, no. They just, they all support each other. And Ali, how do we integrate this into society at large? Like, we got to integrate it into medicine. People need to integrate it into themselves. But there's a huge shift that has to happen overall in how we think about this whole conversation. And I know some, that's something I think you're quite passionate about. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the conversation around normalizing psychedelics is super interesting. And I, I look at the, you know, to answer it in the lens of like my own journey is I started to shift my perspective around psychedelics. I grew up in Missouri. I grew up with the D.A.R.E. program. It was like, just say no to drugs, like the whole thing. And when I started to see avatars in my life that I really respected because of their their work in completely separate areas, like I've always loved, you know, Tim Ferriss, Michael Pollan for like their, you know, they built audiences in business and wellness. And then they started to talk about psychedelics, psilocybin, um, and other psychedelics and started to fund the space. And I think that's really interesting just to look at like how you shift culture at large is, you know, people that are kind of coming out of the psychedelic closet that you wouldn't expect to normalizing it, but doing it in an elevated way. And that's kind of like the thinking that we're having around this nonprofit that we're forming, like some of the best, not a, if not all, who's to say if it's not all, but like some of the best CEOs, highest performers in the world are using psychedelics. And so I think also something interesting to, to bring into this conversation is like, there's actually two sides of psychedelics, right? It's like clinical outcomes, PTSD, anxiety, depression, which all the clinical trials in the United States are currently being run on. And then there's like this healthy, normal category of people, which like, who's really healthy, normal, but like we, you know, the people that fall into like the non-clinical area that are using psychedelics for human optimization and up-leveling their life. And the reason why I've kind of like, just focused on that area is because I'm like, okay, all this work is already being done in the clinical trials area. Like there's enough conversation happening there, but I do think it needs to be more of a, a balanced conversation because if, you know, if you look at the state of the world, my friend said this and I, I loved it. It's like the world's on fire. So we need a lot more people to, you know, wake up to the power of psychedelics, not just the clinical outcomes, you know, PTSD, anxiety, depression, people that are like having trouble getting out of bed in the morning. And so I think, to answer, you know, long-winded answer, but if we can have people normalize psychedelics, start talking about their use of them um, for non-clinical outcomes, for flow, for creativity, for focus, um, for more connection, it's just going to be a totally different world. And I think, you know, we live in this sexy wellness city, so it's very common here. You're almost like an outcast if you don't like microdose and like drink chaga. So education and like educating your families too, like I think that's super powerful the more you can educate your like the parental figures in your life. I think that's, uh, that's super important. Are we heading for a culture war though? Like, I mean, just two days ago, the U S like Supreme court did probably the most regressive thing I've seen in my lifetime with the exception of a couple of things. And it's like, 
I don't know. Like it, it's kind of like all psychedelic and psychedelic assisted therapies and, and, and doing the work and up leveling people, whether it's from depression to baseline or baseline above seems like a perfect answer, but it also seems like it's headed almost for like a, a full on collision with a lot of the other things happening in the society. So how do we, how do we manage that? And that's a question kind of open to everybody here. Focus on what you can control, which I guess is just yourself and the people around you. Good answer. Yeah, and I've said this before, and it's like a little bit of an unpopular belief because it's not because of the state of the world, but I am really optimistic about everything. Um, and it's not because it's like, that's not the most regressive thing that's ever happened. Like it obviously is. But I think the intersection of technology and psychedelics poise us for like a very interesting and quick ability to solve a lot of the problems that the world is facing. And I think it's, we're at a very unique time in history where a lot, I mean, you see the use of, of psychedelics at least is, 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 is skyrocketing. We have all these amazing innovations happening. There's a lot of talk around like who's doing it the right way and all that, but just like overall it's, it's rising. I think that's really exciting. You know, I, I think the use of these tools, psychedelics, technology, all these other wellness things like will um, help wake people up to combating problems like you're discussing. So I'm excited. I think it's just the very beginning. I am out of immediately obvious questions. So I'm going to open it up to everybody. And if there's no uh, immediate questions, then, you know, I, I'm, if you don't mind me picking on you, Jerry, I'd love to have you share your story. But we got some questions popping up. So um, let's go to them. I think over here first. A lot of us probably found all this stuff partying, right? Yeah. And I, that's how I found it. And I happened to do it with a lot of really smart, connected, emotionally intelligent people many years ago. And we just, I didn't get instructions. Like, here's some mushrooms. Go on a journey. <laughs> okay. But I'm optimistic. I have this other output in life. So it's constantly always going down that path. And I've talked to other people and they're like, I will never do that again. I lose control. It's the worst thing in my life. So that's important about intention setting. But I find it really fascinating because I started healing myself. And now that I'm in it, hanging out with Chase, hanging out with other people, they're like, oh, I do it for therapy. And I do it for this. And I find it really fascinating because what I really connected to was if I had a mental block, I'm an artist, so I paint. And if I can't write or I can't perform or I can't do what I do, I'm like, well, I need to go on a journey. And it's just me and myself, and I come out the other end, I'm like, I'm ready to go. But how do we take that? In my po podcast, almost every episode, we've talked about mushrooms. I know I'm going all over the place. But it's like sometimes you're like, you don't want to talk about I do mushrooms, or I've done acid, or I've done ketamine, because people think K-holes and bad things. And it's originally the same thing that happened with weed before, right? But weed now, marijuana use is a good benchmark for what's going to happen with psychedelics. But there's a lot of people that don't like it and they've gone on the, the wrong path. So I'm very interested in talking to you more and learning more how you are helping people with that. But really, how much of it comes down to partying and Burning Man and going down to Tulum and Art Basel and doing all these things? That's really, you know, I think the more people are open to that, the more partying is allowed. I think people are really going to open up and be like, okay, this is cool. But my wife's the total opposite. She won't even touch it. So how do I even get her involved? And it's not because she's against drugs. It's just a whole nother. I don't, how do I get my wife to do drugs? I'm having the same conversation. Don't worry. I guess that is the question. Thank you, JG. 
I'll, I'm going to answer it with how I got my mom to do drugs. So I it's think like, that's the name of your book. Right? Actually, <laughs> I talk, I talk about my mom a lot and I like always send her the podcast. I talk about her on. She's like, please stop talking about me so publicly, but she loves it. No, it's, it's an, it's an amazing story. And it also like just to set the context for my answer. It's like, what do we define as therapeutic? Like the most therapeutic things I've ever done have been like taking mushrooms and dying laughing with my best friends. Like that is therapy in and of itself. And like, that's, that's, that's a purge in and of itself. So, um, anyway, supporter of any and all the things, but, um, how you convert people, I think that are reluctant is education. My mom was very like marijuana is the devil had a terrible experience in college awful. Um, you know, like whenever she used to find like all of our like pipes and bowls in high school, she would like smash them with like very anti anything. And when I started talking about mushrooms, she was like, what is this? You know, like it was so anti, um, this conversation, but you know, she read Michael Pollan's book with me, how to change your mind. She watched fantastic fungi with me. It's like a two year education process. And she's now had, you know, several mushroom trips that have completely changed her life. And there's not almost a single time that I talked to my mom on the phone where she's not like, wow, I can't believe I would have died never having that experience. And now she's out in Statesboro, Georgia, talking to all her tennis ladies about mushrooms and like educating them. But it was like a two year process, very subtle. And like from people that were really well respected in society that she could identify with. Um, and that's why I think it's so important to have people kind of come out of the psychedelic closet and do it in an elevated way. Cause your wife is going to resonate with like, someone very particular that like, you know, your mom is going to feel differently about. It's just like how many different people can we have bring this to the surface in different ways? I, I think, I think the answer and, uh, 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 an author I've saw spoke, uh, speak about this, not specifically about this. His name is Philip McKernan. Look him up. He's fantastic. But he's like on your own personal growth journey, it's like you're on your own and they're on their own. And the best thing you can do is just stay on yours and let them have theirs. And as soon as you let go of the control that you have trying to force your wife or your partner or your friends or your parents to come along, the sooner they're probably going to come along. And I saw that for like, I, I used to do that, you know, very often being like, Oh, you should do this. Oh, you should do this. And immediate resistance, you know, from so many people. And then we say like, okay, like you're on your journey and I respect that I'm on my journey. And then when they see where you go, they usually like, Oh, that actually seems kind of interesting, but it really is about letting go of control around that situation. In my experience, Mike, do you have any thoughts here? I'm sure you do. I, I, I got a little, I got a little follow up for you, man. I think, uh, my name is Chase, by the way. Um, hello, Chase. Thank you. I've been here all day. Um, and, you know, like many people here, I'm in the health and wellness space. And a lot of us, we kind of have our niche. We have our focus of how and why we want to help people. And a lot of people start with the obvious. Go work out, clean up your diet, do all these kind of surface level things. And then ultimately, I think we all get to the same place of, you know what, that's helping but there's still something else. And that's something else through ketamine therapy, through psilocybin, through MDMA for me, has been that kind of missing link in just being. So when I share something in my wellness, when I share something in my diet, share something in my workout, that hits with some people, but then when I get to live and just embody who I truly am, that has spoken the highest volumes for people to be like, yo, Chase, what are you doing? What's the supplement? What are you taking? Like, and honestly, the most common denominator is people tell me like, you look so happy. 
Like, you're so happy. What are you doing? And I tell them, drugs. <laughs> uh, I mean, I tell them, I've been going through ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. I've been microdosing. I've been doing hero's docilocybin. I experienced MDMA for the first time. And it revolutionized my marriage. And it's just like that you can't really quantify. But, like, you can qualitatively put out yourself. And that just, like, attracts people. I remember we had Julie Holland on on our podcast, Field Tripping. I think all of you got a little card with like a, 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 a shout out to it. Uh, and one of the things she said was like the hippies were right. In so many ways, the hippies were right. And what you were saying just reminded me. It's like that that old cliche of like live and let live. And it's kind of like, that's really the answer. That, that was right. It's never been wrong. It's a little bit cliche. But when you actually let it in and see it at work, it, it is quite amazing. Mike, do you want to weigh People in on People latch this? on to happiness. They latch on to happiness. They see it, they want it, and they want to know how you did it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, you know, hearing you talk about MDMA and, you know, uh, maybe an indirect way of also sort of addressing that. I cannot wait for the next five to 10 years and some of the molecules that we're developing at Fieldship Health and other companies are developing. Uh, because I think when you have a molecule or a, a drug for every person and that person's particular genetic code and what they need in their brain and our toolbox gets bigger, I think it's going to be really exciting, especially when we can treat untreatable conditions, right? Like microdosing LSD for dementia and Alzheimer's or, uh, you know, what if there is somebody who could really benefit from psilocybin, but they just, there's something about their personality. They're very rigid in the eight hour journey, or they're just too busy. Like they're just depressed. They have an 80 hour week job. They don't have it eight hours to give you. I, I think in, in five or 10 years, it can be really, really exciting. I tried mushrooms for the first time for myself last year. Um, and so for me, that was different because I wasn't that, I wasn't raised in that. I'm from the South. So I wasn't, you know, besides maybe some marijuana for us, we were just kind of like, kind of, it was like, what is this? You know what I'm saying? So for me trying to introduce my parents to it, you know, and they're saying, my dad's 63. So for me to try to tell my dad like, oh yeah, I've tried mushrooms, you know, to, you know, help with my anxiety and depression. He's like, you in LA doing drugs? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So, but for, right, you know, but for me, you know, luckily with my fiance working here, you know, she's educated me on some things, like I said, even with ketamine and different things like that, because I suffer from anxiety and depression as well. And it's been very tough for me with, you know, childhood trauma and different things like that. And just trying to figure out what is going to work for me, you know, so I can get rid of this funk of whatever it is. And so I will say with me trying mushrooms, it opened my mind and just... I think either my fiance said or I read it somewhere, but like it re, it kind of changes how you think about things. And it, and so for me, I could tell when I woke up the next morning that it was a big difference. Um, and so I definitely think that it's good for us to maybe try to educate our parents as well on stuff like that, because I know at least for my dad and, you know, my stepmom, a lot of our parents, older parents have a lot of trauma that they don't want to talk about, that they're just kind of like, we're just going to put it in the back and never talk about it. But I think stuff like this is good for them. And so I am interested to know how to educate them because even for my dad, even with, if I smoke a blunt on the, you know, on FaceTime, he's just kind of like... <laughs> What is that? And I'm like, Daddy, I live in I live in California. Like, it's completely okay. So, you know, it's fine. I'm not going to go to jail. It's okay. But for him, he they don't understand it because again, they're in their 60s. So, 
for me, I think that the education portion of this facility is amazing. I will say that, like I said, my fiance works here. So I, she educated me on it. And I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't that girl that was trying a bunch of different stuff either. You know, besides like she said, you know, smoking weed in high school, you know, when you're an adult, it's a little different, but to try something new and nobody around you knew what it was. I've actually told my, my best friends actually have tried mushrooms since I've tried it because they saw, like he said, your friends will say, you look amazing. You know, what are you doing? Like he said, drugs. Like, <laughs> you know, seriously. So I, I appreciate the practice. And so I... I definitely would love to hear more about how to educate the older generation because they still think of it as a horrible thing. <laughs> yeah, like drugs are not, it's not, yeah. like, are you okay? You know? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, one of the places to start certainly is, is like, not to be shill here, but like field trip, like we're doing medically prescribed, medically you know, psychotherapist or psychologist supervised psychedelic assisted therapy. It's like as much as people have potentially negative impressions of everything they've been told, it's hard to argue being like, here's the data, here's the doctor, here's the therapist, all doing it legally and and with the research to back it up. You know, it's a good place to start, but you know, when it comes to emotional conversations, because these conversations are not rational fundamentally, right? They're, they're not, they're emotionally driven. Um, data only works to a certain degree. Um, and then the emotional context, it's more challenging, but, you know, I'd love the thoughts of anybody here because I think are there any resources like, I mean, I know my parents are the same way. They'll look at me sideways if I mention mushrooms, but are there any like documentaries or, because I have no idea about that, but anything that they could watch to talk about it and educate people? Fantastic fun guy to echo, yeah, echo yeah, the audience. It's a great. Sometimes I wish our internal field trip uh, research was on our website and made public maybe one day. It's one of our primary focuses post spin out to get that more formalized and published. Great. Man, our researcher is so good. <laughs> you know, just like every single study, like you just see it all in one email. It's, it's so nice to have all that, that data. And then, you know, I, I always point people because in the context of our world, nonprofits teams seem to have a lot of credibility, whereas for-profits always have some degree of skepticism. MAPS, I don't know if you're familiar with MAPS, it's the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. They're in the second arm of their phase three clinical trials for MDMA-assisted therapy for the treatment of PTSD. Just look at those trials. It's mind-blowing how effective it is. Mind-blowing, right? Um, and, and they've got tons of resources because while they're focused on MDMA, it is multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies. So there's content on everything. And so that's a great resource as well, just going to maps. Hey everybody, I'm Jay. I actually run Field Trips ads as part of Hive Digital. It's for those of you who haven't met in person. Um, so one thing, so I've been talking to my mom about some of this as well. And she's similar to you and so many people like extremely anti-drugs. And one thing that's actually gave her pause to actually reflect on is when I mentioned the work that Field Trips is doing in Canada with the Canadian government, um, I think is in Fredericton. You have the program? Yeah, in Frederick. I mean, it's all across Canada, but Canadian military veterans, their ketamine-assisted therapy is covered by MetaV Blue Cross, which is the you know insurance yeah. program. So I think just actually having a formal government partnership really helps a lot of people get more on board with the idea. 
So I think that's also something that can also be a topic of discussion. Like, no, we actually have government programs that are implementing this. That could really help. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Davina and then Jerry. Um, so something that I think triggers me because I think as important as intentions are are the words that we use. And calling these medicines drugs, I've been sitting here like medicine, 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 medicine in my seat because I think of drugs as like the bad stuff, like the synthetic stuff, what's being pushed by big pharma, what's keeping us in low vibrational frequency and what's holding us down. And I think of these plant medicines as medicines. And I think that if people had like, there's so much emotional attachment to drugs, like don't do drugs, dare program uh, that we've been raised. I'm an eighties baby. So it was starting then. And that if we were to change that, aspect of what we're calling them and how we're referring to them would be huge. And so like as much as I love like doing drugs as adults or how to whatever the title of that thing is, it's like medicine for me makes it feel so much more like, okay, like no judgment. Like there isn't the same attached judgment of what it is that we're doing. And so that's just something I want to offer is we're doing these medicines and not drugs. <laughs> I think of drugs as like Coke and heroin and like, like you know, like that stuff. So Yeah, absolutely. I think changing the discourse matters a lot. I think we got Jerry. And then after Jerry, like we're, we're obviously way late. So if people want to stick around and chat some more, that's great. Uh, if, if not, then, you know, we can wind down and, and then. Yeah, I just wanted to say on uh, that, I have a friend who I did a, who did a psilocybin journey with recently and one of his, um, he struggles with anxious eating. And afterwards I said to him, you know, just the idea of setting an intention and that this could be medicine was new to him. And so I said, every time you eat, why don't you ask yourself what your intention is for this medicine being food? And then ask yourself, is this the best medicine for that intention? And even if you're going to eat it anyways, why don't you at least like quickly identify what would have been the best medicine for that intention? And like three months later, I saw him, I could see that he'd lost a ton of weight. And he just said, I just kept asking myself that question. And then it, just identifying it and then, okay, well, I at least need to buy that. What would be the best? And when I just changed his relationship with like, what's the intention for this thing I'm putting in my mouth and seeing food as medicine um, made a huge impact on him. So thanks for saying that. I was also just going to offer up that um, I was thinking about when I was thinking about telling my parents that I was using these medicines. There was like, I got a push alert on the trip app. The I don't know, it's field tripping. And it said, how to tell your parents you're on drugs. <laughs> and I read it. And then my wife sees, like, I'm having this conversation in my, with myself. And then she's like, all of a sudden, you got livid. What was that? And I said, why do we need to explain ourselves to them? They fucked it all up. <laughs> like, they put half of my friends in jail for weed. And... <laughs> Like our whole healthcare system's messed up. This education is a scam. I'm not gonna explain my. It was just like, I'm not sure that approach is gonna work though. Just so you know. And uh, but yeah, I agree. Just modeling uh, for for my mom. Uh, it was I had not spoken to my father in seven years, and she doesn't speak to him either. And she said, "I need to know what made you forgive him like that." I need to know like what was so powerful that it shifted that and just saying that I just answered the question. So I didn't even have to bring it up. 
And she said, anything that could, that could expand your capacity for forgiveness that much, that fast merits her own research. She's very anti-drug, very data-driven as well, though. So she went and did her own research. That was just all I had to say. And she went and did her own. So I just wanted to comment on those two things. Thanks, Jerry. Uh, Jerry, Jason, and then we'll wind up. I'm that guy who like tracks everything. I have a whoop on this arm, an Apple watch on this arm. And I can tell you from my ketamine-assisted psychotherapy sessions here, I track them, of course. And then last summer, I went through a psilocybin microdose protocol I tracked, and the data doesn't lie. So like, you can tell everybody how you feel all day long, and you can send them to a PubMed article all day long. But when you can show them your own data with something that I pay $18 a month for, like you can't deny that as well. My HRV increased 40% in one month and has stayed elevated. My HRV and recovery score every time after ketamine stays elevated for a week. So there's the emotional and then there's the physiological. That's incredible to come together with. And in very reasonable ways, very cheap ways to track it and share that data. And a lot of people in like my social circle and online, like they would hear me talk about stuff all day long, but until I shared, hey, here's my HRV, here's my recovery, here's my sleep, here's my everything, that really caught their attention. So I think there's a way to kind of get both sides of the coin there with different types of people. <laughs> Quick on the practical side, because I, I have a number of patients under my care right now that I can immediately think would benefit greatly, if not all of them potentially. Um, contraindications, um, people, conditions that would not be appropriate for this sort of therapy. Hypertension, bipolar one, untreated, schizophrenia, psychosis, pregnancy, <laughs> N or nursing. <laughs> For now, there is there is one paper we're conservative here, so there is a paper by Wolfson uh, that shows you know the half life, and it's pretty safe if you time it. But we're just not we're not there yet. Maybe in three five years, maybe we'll be there. <laughs> All right, just respecting everybody's time, uh, please thank all of our panelists. Thank you all for coming. The, the purpose of this was trying try to up-level the conversation, you know, put the bug in more people's ears and, and make it look professional and credible. It's, it's really easy to have one-on-one -on -one conversations, but every conversation moves the, moves the needle forward in terms of everything that we're doing here and what everyone is doing here. So, so thank you all for attending. Thank you everybody, Conrad, for organizing it and Bella and everyone from Autumn. So thanks all. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to our very first Field Trip Live. Please rate and review our podcast and let us know your thoughts and some of our new approaches to the show. Many thanks to our panelists for today's episode. To learn more about Allie Shaper and all she is doing in the world of fungi, visit supermush.com or check out their Instagram at supermush. To learn more about our very own Dr. Mike Dow, his books, and all his offerings, visit drmikedow.com or follow him on socials at drmikedow. Finally, to learn more about Dr. Brian Abasolo, also known to some as Dr. Abs, visit drbrianabasolo.com and follow his Instagram, the Brian Abasolo. Field tripping is created by Ronan Levy. Our producer is Conrad Page, and associate producers are Macy Baker, Alex Sherman, and Sharon Bella. 
And of course, many thanks to our production partner, Quill. Thank you for listening to Field Tripping. I'm your host, Ronan Levy. Until next time, stay curious, breathe properly, and remember, every day is a field trip if you let it be one. <laughs>